Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brendan, for um, sharing that prayer with us. And that's what we're doing, asking, seeking, knocking and praying that God would speak to us this morning. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and we believe that God can speak to us this morning. And so we come to him in that way. I'd like you to get your Bibles um, and open them up into 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 17 to 21. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 17 to 21. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, let us know that you're here. It's good to be together. And and if you're trying to figure out the Bible for the very first time, here's what you can do. You can just Google that. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 17 to 21. And then you can follow along. As we're thinking about this passage this morning, I want us to ask ourselves a question. And the question I want us to ask is this. Should we as Christians live in fear? Should we as Christians live in fear? Now, you think the answer to that question is simple, because as you look at the teaching of Jesus, you seem to get the very clear answer from Jesus. You remember in, in Mark chapter 5, there was this um, this ruler who came to Jesus. His name was Jarius, and he came to Jesus to say that his daughter was dying, and he, and he asked Jesus to come quickly. And so Jesus was coming to go and heal the daughter, except this woman touched his cloak. She was bleeding for 12 years, and so Jesus healed her, and seemingly Jesus was delayed. And so the ruler's servants came to him, and they said, no, it's too late. Your daughter is dead. But you know what Jesus said to him in Mark 5? Jesus said these words, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. So when we ask the question, should we live in fear? You hear that command from Jesus, don't be afraid. But then in Matthew chapter 6, we hear that account of Jesus walking on water, don't we? And when Jesus was walking on water, he, he came to the disciples and it tells us in the passage, that they were terrified. They were absolutely afraid. And listen to what Jesus said to them. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so again, we think, well, Jesus is commanding us, don't be afraid. And then we hear in, in John 14, as, as Jesus was getting ready to leave this earth and getting his disciples ready for the Holy Spirit to come, he says to them and to us these words, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so it is clear from the teachings of Jesus that we are called to live a life of faith, not a life of fear. Jesus constantly in his teachings and constantly in the scripture, the word from God is this, do not be afraid. And yet, we realize that not all fear is bad fear, is it? There is such a fear that is a good fear. Let me give you an example of this. Every single one of us has, has seen this, whether it has been your grandchildren or your children or, or maybe your niece or your nephew. You've seen these young kind of babies, these young little small babies grow up, haven't you? And there comes this time when when the babies, they start to take their first little steps. 
And their first little steps, everybody's so excited about the steps that they're making and we're taking photos, and videos, and the parents are delighted and everybody's delighted. And then suddenly it occurs to everybody. Suddenly there is this realization, well, actually, this is kind of a dangerous reality. Because this child is, is if, this, if this child gets close to a road, this child will have no problem walking onto oncoming traffic. If this child is, is on the landing, this child will have no problem with, with walking to the stairs and maybe falling down. If this child is near a lake or near a river, this child will have no problem with walking into the lake or the river. And so suddenly we realize this. We're in trouble. Why? Because this child has no fear. This child has no sense of fear. And that sense of fear, in that sense, is a good thing. It is the the fear that that keeps us alert as we're driving. It's the fear that keeps us alert as we're crossing the road. It is that fear that is a good fear. And it is that type of fear that this passage is calling us to this morning. In one sense, we as Christians are not to be afraid. And in another sense, we as Christians are to live in fear. That's what this passage tells us. Let let us look at that and and look at what that means. Verse 17, chapter 1, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to what God says. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown from before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I want you to focus there just first as we as we get into this passage. I want you to focus there first on the command. And the command is clear. Conduct yourselves with fear. And we have realized, haven't we, since last week that we've started to get into the command section of the letter. That that after this big, therefore, we have already heard two commands. Set your hope fully on the future grace and be holy. And now we have this other command to, to conduct ourselves in fear. And so the way you could sum up those commands simply is this. Live in hope. Live in holiness and live in fear. If you want a summary of all we've been talking about, live in hope, live in holiness and live in fear. Except as we look at those three commands in that kind of way, it feels like there's an odd one now. We get hope, we get holiness, but to live in fear. What does that mean? Are, Are we really called as Christians to live in fear? Well, the answer is simply yes. We see this, this theme of fear throughout Scripture. And it is this good type of fear, this reverent fear, this, this fear that, that, that stands in awe of God and who he is. 
We see this throughout the scriptures. You know, in the Bible, there's there's different types of books. We've kind of talked about this before. As we look at this command, there's there's these different types of books. It's kind of like the way there's different types of music or or different genres of music. There's there's rock music, there's jazz music, there's hip hop music, there's all sorts of types of music. And so in the Bible, one of the reasons people get in so much trouble when they're reading the Bible is they don't realize there's different types of genres, different types of books in the Bible. So you have narrative or story, you have poetry or song, you have letters, you have you have law documents, you have all sorts of different types of genres in the Bible. And one of them is the wisdom books. You see, I would go as far as to say that to live in fear is to live with wisdom. And there are three primary primary wisdom books in the Bible. The first we've looked at already this morning in our reading, it is the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, we will know it as a book of like wise sayings. And what it is, is, is God wants us and desires us as his people to live with wisdom. And what wisdom is, is that God has given us knowledge in his word and he He asks us to take that knowledge and apply it to our lives. That is wisdom. That is the use of wisdom. And so what he tells us in the introduction to this book, in the beginning of this book, it is said three or four times this reality of what we are to do. It says in Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want wisdom in your life, if you want to begin with wisdom in your life, then you are called to stand in fear and awe of God and who he is. Then you have the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes uses this word over and over again, meaningless or better put, vanity. This this idea that that all pleasure in life, all these things that we have under the sun, they're like a breath of air. They're like vapor. But at the conclusion of that wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, it gives us this clear conclusion. And it is this Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you want to live a wise life, the conclusion of this book is to fear the Lord. And then you have the book of Job. It is a book of suffering where Job is going through the suffering and he doesn't understand. Why am I going through this, Lord? And all his friends are trying to figure out and understand. Why are we going? Why is he going through this, Lord? And at the middle, at the centerpiece of this book of Job is this poem, this elevated language in chapter 28. And then in the centerpiece of that poem is chapter 28, verse 28, in which it says these words. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And so what you've got in these three wisdom books is at the introduction of Proverbs, fear of the Lord. At the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, fear of the Lord. And at the centerpiece of Job, fear of the Lord. So guess what we are to do if we are to live a wise and prudent life? We are to fear the Lord. Stand in awe of the Lord. That's the command. 
And what does it look like? Just to give you an idea of this word, I remember um, I was visiting, you know, that cathedral um, across in Cove, that, that big cathedral in Cove. I was bringing one of my friends. He was visiting Ireland. He was visiting from the States. And, of course, he wanted to see all he could see. And, and I brought him into the cathedral. And we noticed as soon as we walked into this cathedral, both him and I, as soon as we walked in, do you know what happened to us? We walked into the cathedral and immediately we began to whisper to one another. Immediately we began to, began to speak kind of quietly and we began to kind of tiptoe around the church. And immediately our eyes were, were lifted up. Now, some may attribute that to, oh, maybe, maybe it's God's presence. No, what it is, what it really is, is, is good architecture. This amazing architecture, you'll know when, when you go into a, a, a cathedral like this, it's, it's made and, and designed in such a way that would cause you to lower your voice and to look up. That, that is the, the great reality of this design. Well, we as Christians, we know that our lives aren't just to be lived in fear in relation to when we walk into a building. We are not just to stand in awe when we walk into a building. No, we are to stand in awe when we walk around this world. Living and knowing who God is. Living our lives always looking up. Always having this sense of God's presence. Always having this sense of, oh, I better watch how I speak. I better watch how I live. I better watch what I do. Living in awe of the Lord. Living in fear of the Lord. I think there are three questions that we can ask ourselves to see whether we are keeping this command or not in our lives. And the three questions I think will will help you as as you seek to ask yourself, am I living in fear? Am I living in awe? Am I living in reverence of God? The first question is this. Are you aware of God's constant presence? Are you aware of God's constant presence with you? You see, often we as Christians, we're, we're only aware of his presence as we gather with his people. Maybe on Sunday morning or maybe in a Bible study or whatever it might be. But are they the only times that you are aware of his presence? Oh, if we are going to conduct ourselves with fear in this life during this time of exile. We need to live in such a way that is constantly aware of his presence. Are you living a life that is aware of his presence? The second question is this. Are you living a life that is listening to his voice? Are you living a life that is listening to his voice? There are many opportunities throughout the week to hear God's voice through his word. Are you listening? Are you listening to his voice on, on Sunday mornings as we go through his word? Because if you're, you're not paying attention and if you're not listening, then you're not living in fear. Are you taking the opportunities on, on Friday night to, to study God's word and, and listen to his voice? Because if you're not listening to his voice, then you're not living in fear. This is how we are to live before the Lord. We're to live in fear. We're to live in awe before him, knowing what he is calling us to do. So being aware of his presence, listening to the Lord. 
All of these are showing us examples of fear. And I cannot remember the third question I was going to ask. Um, but all of these lead us to fear. I know I'll probably remember it in a second, but I, I, I just can't for some reason mind block. But this is what it looks like to fear the Lord. Are you listening to him? Are you aware of his presence? Are you standing in awe of him before him each day? That is the command. Fear the Lord. Now, I want to take all that time to talk about that command because it is really important. But now we need to ask, as we look through some of these verses briefly, what, what we want to then ask is, well, why should I fear the Lord? Why should I fear the Lord? And there are a few reasons in the passage as to why we should fear the Lord. The first reason is this. We should fear him because God is our father. We should fear him because God is our father. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Do you see what it says there? And if God is your father, then conduct yourselves with fear. And so there is an if and a then clause. If God is your father, here's what you're to do. You are to conduct yourself with fear. Now, some of your translations there will say since. It should not say since. It should say if. The reason it should say if is this. It causes you to ask the very important question before we get into any of the reasons as to why we should fear the Lord. It causes you to ask the very important question, is God really my father? Is God really my father? You see, it says, if God is your father, if. You have to answer that question. It forces you to ask the question, is God my father? And, and the idea there is, am I looking to him for my instruction? Am I living under his roof, as it were? Am I living under his authority in my life? Is he truly my father? And the way you know that God is truly your father is if you have trusted in God the son. If you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, then you will know and live for him. Then you will know that God is your father. And I would encourage you this morning, if you have never done that before, never trusted in Jesus, I would call on you to trust in him and live with God as your father under his rule and authority and reign. And so if God is your father, we are to live in fear because we know that God, who is our father, is also our judge. Look at what it says, verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. You see, God, the father, will judge the entire world. When Jesus comes back again, everybody will be judged, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You see, there are two types of judgments that will, that will happen on that final day. On that final day, those who are not Christians will come before the Lord. And they will come before him and they will be judged on the basis of their sin. Their sin has not been removed from them. 
they will be condemned for their sin. And if you don't trust in Jesus this morning, on that final day of judgment, you will be condemned for your sin. And the scripture tells us in Revelation 20 and 21 that you will be thrown into the lake of fire. There will be judgment for you. A place Jesus calls where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't have to be that way for you. You can trust in Jesus and on that judgment day, you will not be judged on the basis of your sin. It will be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. But on that judgment day, there is also a judgment for Christians. Now, listen to me carefully. Not on the basis of our sins, because our sins have been dealt with, haven't they? Justice has been served in relation to our sins. All our sins, not in part, but the whole, have been nailed to the cross. And we can say with Jesus, it is finished. We can say with Paul, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is true. We will stand before him as righteous on that day of judgment, not because of what we have done, but all because of what he has done. And yet on that day of judgment, while there won't be punishment for our sin, there will be accountability for our deeds. Because there are rewards that will be given and rewards that will not be given on the basis of what you did with what you had, what you did with what you were given. There are a few other passages, not just this one, that talks about this reality of the judgment of our deeds. And I want to, to point them out to you so that you know that I'm not just blowing smoke here. Listen, listen to what it says in, in Matthew 16, 27 in relation to the judgment. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay to each person according to what he has done. There is this reality that what we have done with what we have will be judged. And then more clearly, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 5.10 about this judgment of all people. He says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. On that final day, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will be judged according to what we have done with what we have. And so what does that make you want to do? Live in fear and awe of God. Because too many of us right now, too many of us, and maybe some of you are are watching in right now as well. You've believed in Jesus. You've done that. And you say, well, I believe in Jesus. Now I'm just going to play it safe for the rest of my life. I'm I'm in heaven. That's it. It's done. I'm just going to play it safe now. Get the head down. Don't do anything. Don't take risks for Jesus. Don't do anything for Jesus. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to play it safe. And then that will be it. Because you think, well, I'm not going to receive condemnation. So so I'm good. I'm just going to live my life for myself. Well, no, this passage would tell you, no, you need to live in fear. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the time that God has given you. Don't waste the gifts that God has given you. 
Don't waste the money that God has given you, because on that day, we will be brought into account for what we did with what we have. What are you doing with what God has given you? Are you living for him? Are you giving it to him? Is your life all about him? Or are you just happy because you've ticked the Christian box and that's it? No, 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 no. There's much more to the Christian life than this. Too often we play the Christian life like we're sitting in a stadium just watching the game. Now, my friends, it is time for us to get in the game and start living for Christ, for what he has given us. So we live in fear because he, God is our Father. But we also live in fear because we are strangers. It says this in verse 17. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We live in fear because we are strangers in this world. And I want to talk very, very briefly about this. I'm not going to talk long in relation to this reality because the uh, reality of us being strangers is going to be talked about again. But you remember in chapter one, verse one and two, it talked about who we are and who are we? We are elect exiles, which means we are chosen strangers. We are aliens and strangers and foreigners in this world. If you have believed and trusted in Jesus, this world is not your home. And so you are to live, conduct your life in fear, in a reverent awe and fear. On the basis of this, this world is not your home. You see, if this world is your home, if you, if you don't trust in Jesus, you don't need to live in fear. <laughs> Listen, you have full permission to do whatever you want. In this world, whatever you want, go for it if Jesus isn't your Lord. And at the end of the day, when you go for it, you will receive the judgment. You will receive the condemnation for your sin. Go for it if you want in this world. You don't need to live in any fear if Jesus isn't your Lord. But if Jesus is our Lord, if we are strangers in this world, then we are to live fear. And brothers and sisters, I would call on to remember that reality. We're living in this world like it's our home. Sometimes I wonder if Christians sometimes even want to get to heaven. Oh Lord, will you will you hold off a little bit? I'm, I'm enjoying myself a, a little too much here. I want to see how far I can get in my career. I want to see how far things can go in this life, in this world. And so we're, we're living in this world. We should not live for this world. We should live in fear and awe and trembling before our holy God because we are strangers. And finally, we should live in fear because we have been ransomed. We have been ransomed. Listen to what it says in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with imperishable, with, 
with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown from before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We are to live in fear because we have been ransomed. And that is great news. And in order to simply just walk us through what it means that we are ransomed in this text, we are ransomed from something. We are ransomed by something and we are ransomed for something. We are ransomed from something, by something and for something. What are we ransomed from? Here's why we are to live in fear. We are to live in fear because we are ransomed from the empty life, the futile life. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. We were ransomed from the ways inherited from our forefathers. We were ransomed from the empty life. That's what futile means. It means empty. And there is so much in this world that is empty, isn't there? So much in this world that promises so much, yet delivers so little. Here's what I mean. Right now, many of us, we are pinning our hopes on what? Christmas. Right now, because this year has been just so bad and so terrible and so horrible, all of us are pinning our hopes on Christmas. Pinning our hopes on the fact that we may just be able to spend some time with family. Pinning our hopes on on the reality of that meal. Pinning our hopes on all the presents and everything that we're going to get. And listen to me. Listen to me. I love family. I love giving gifts. And I love spending time together at Christmas. And I'm looking forward to that. But you know what? I pray, I pray that I will not pin my hopes on that. Because ultimately, while it's nice, ultimately, it's empty. Ultimately, everything in this world that you would pin your hopes on, ultimately, all of it is empty. Here's Here's why. On Christmas morning, you'll sit down and you'll you'll open up that present and you'll open it up and you'll have this nice new jumper. But you know, there's coming a day where that jumper won't fit anymore. (laughs) There's coming a day that that color will fade. There's coming a day where I'm going to throw this in the bin or give this to charity. In the end, while it's nice, ultimately it's empty. And then you go and you open up another present, and in that other present you have a phone, and you say, oh, this is great, I have a phone. If it's an iPhone, you wonder to yourself, well, how long is this going to last before there's a new one? You see, it's nice at the time, but ultimately it's empty, it's not going to last. And we could go on and on and on. And so if you're pinning your hopes on that time, it's going to be empty. It won't last, and it won't fulfill. 
Can I encourage you this Christmas? Enjoy your Christmas with friends, family, presents, all of that. But don't pin your hopes on Christmas. Pin your hopes on this fact. You have been ransomed. That has meaning. That will sustain you through anything else in all of life. You have been ransomed. You've been delivered from your sin. There is now no more condemnation for you. You have been ransomed. You have not only been ransomed from something, the futile life, the empty life, you now can have purpose because you have been ransomed by something. And what have you been ransomed by? The passage tells us. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You see, that's why we shouldn't pay so much attention and pin our hopes on the material things of this world. Not on silver and not on gold, because none of that will last. No, we pin our hopes on the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood has set us free. We have been ransomed and bought and delivered. And so we live in fear and awe. Oh, look what you've done for me, Jesus. Look at how you've delivered me, Jesus. So we stand in awe before him. We're made to live in awe, aren't we? Aren't we? This is why you, this is why people go crazy when someone kicks a ball into a net. Because they know, I'm made for this, to to live in awe, except we focus attention on the created things rather than the creator. This is why we stand in awe when we get that new material thing that we've been wanting and waiting for, and it's so shiny and nice. We're made to stand in awe, except we're standing in awe about the created thing. That a created person made instead of the creator. Oh, let us stand in worship and fear and awe of God and rather than created things. Why? Because we have been ransomed from something. And we have been ransomed by something, the precious blood of Jesus. But we have also been ransomed for something. Look at verse 20. He was from the he was foreknown from before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I love these verses. Do you know why I love these verses? Because these verses tell us that you. If you're in Jesus, you're not an afterthought of his plan. <laughs> this is wonderful news. Verse 20 says clearly, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So, so, so what happened? It wasn't like when, when Adam and Eve sinned and when man sinned that God was kind of like, you know, scratching his head wondering, well, what am I going to do now? What's the plan? I mean, we thought they were going to live perfectly. So, 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 so what are we going to do? And, and the Godhead kind of just look at each other. Well, will you go down or will I go down? What will we do? It wasn't like that. It didn't surprise. No, this was foreknown. 
from before the foundations of the world, that Christ Jesus would come and redeem his people. Which means you're not an afterthought. Part of it. You're part of his great and glorious plan. And doesn't that just flatten you? I mean, the mind boggles. How on earth was all this known and determined before the foundation of the world? How? It makes you just stand in fear and awe. And so we realize at the end of this verse, these verses, what then we were ransomed for. See at the end of the verse, verse 21. So that your faith and hope are in God. Now, please, I hope you are taking notes these past few weeks, because if you're taking notes these past few weeks, you will know that therefore is not just important, but so that is important as well. Why? When you see the so that, you should be asking yourself, so what? The so that tells us the purpose or the reason for everything that has just been said. And if you want to know, listen, why have I been ransomed in this way from something and by something? Get the reason here. So that your faith and hope are in God. <laughs> Don't put your faith and hope in anything else in this world. Hear me. Don't put your hope in Christmas. Don't do it. Don't do it. It'll let you down. Don't put your hope in family or friends. Don't do it. It will let you down. Don't put your hope in a cure for a virus. Don't do it. It will let you down. Well, all those things are good and great. No, what we put our hope in is God. The reason we do that is because we have been ransomed. And so, brothers and sisters, let us live in awe and reverence, fear of God. And that is wisdom. Let us walk each day as though we are walking in his presence, looking up and standing in awe of him. Let us end our time by singing a song of praise together. And as we do that, I'd like you again to take opportunities, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, to respond to God's word. Let us take this time to respond to what God has been saying to us. Reflect with verses. Ask questions. Um, whatever whatever you want to do, uh, please do that. It would be wonderful uh, to hear from you. And now we're going to sing in praise to our God. Let's sing together.